Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim and I am the host of this program. There is a saying I've heard that refers to how people are not able to fully put their trust in God. It goes something like this. We come to church with heavy burdens and after service go back home carrying those same burdens again. This is quite heartbreaking because I know there are times when I try to resolve my own issues instead of putting them down before God. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, "Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest." Jesus invites us moment by moment to come to him with our burdens. We pray many prayers and sing many songs that reference this. Today I would like to share with you about Alicia Albright Hoffman who wrote a song titled I Must Tell Jesus. It is a song that reminds us to lay our burdens before God. We'll continue to share more after our first song. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet Between the black skies and my red eyes I can barely see And when I'm feeling like I've been let down by my friends and my family I can hear the rain reminding me In the eye of the storm you remain in control the Lord you guard my soul you alone are the anchor when my sails are torn your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm mm-hmm. when my hopes and dreams are far from me and i'm running out of faith i see the future i picture only fade away and when the tears of pain and heartache are pouring down my face i find my peace in jesus name in the eye of the storm you remain in control in the middle of the war you guard my soul you I just don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet 
I did my best, now I'm scared to death that we might lose everything And when a sickness takes my child away and there's nothing I can do My only hope is to trust you I trust you, Lord In the eye of the storm You remain in control In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Alicia Albright Hoffman was born in 1839 in Pennsylvania as a child of a pastor. Ever since he was little, he was musically talented. However, Hoffman decided to follow the footsteps of his father of becoming a pastor instead of a musician. He had a heart for the poor and loved them very much. When he had time available in the midst of his busy ministry, he took the time to visit them to spread the good news of Jesus and brought great comfort to their hearts. At the same time, he still used his musical talents to praise and glorify God. With a thankful heart, he wrote about 2,000 praise song lyrics. Can you feel how passionate he was for Christ? Among the many songs he wrote, I would like to introduce to you today the background story of one of his songs titled, I Must Tell Jesus. I'll begin by reading to you the first verse in chorus. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. These are very compassionate lyrics and make me think deeply about the grace of Christ. Pastor Hoffman wrote this song while he was serving at a church in Pennsylvania. As usual, he was visiting the home of an impoverished family. But when he went inside this one time, he saw that the mother of the family was especially filled with great sadness, and the moment she saw Hoffman, she began to burst out in tears of grief. Without her saying anything, he already knew the hardships she was suffering, but there was nothing he could do except pray and hope that God would bring her comfort and peace. That night he shared with her the verses of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And they began to pray together. As they were praying, the woman stopped crying. And as Pastor Hoffman was getting ready to leave, she began to say, Yes, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, and repented for not relying on God. As Pastor Hoffman was listening to her say this repeatedly, he realized that God was comforting her. On his way home, her words kept lingering in his ears. Yes, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. He began to think about how there are countless people who share the same hardship and pain. 
However, when we lay it all down before Jesus, we can be free from it all and have peace which nothing in this world can provide. Pastor Hoffman was filled with joy, and as soon as he returned home, he began to write a poem that later turned into a song titled, I Must Tell Jesus. Dissolve like snow The sun 
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Give Thanks to God, Part 2, based on Psalm 136. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. Hey, everybody is growing and everybody needs help. Jacob learned the lesson of having self-reliance taken away from him in Genesis chapter 32. He was surprised when this, quote, man, unquote, which was really the Lord, the angel of the Lord, caught him and he started wrestling with him. Didn't even listen to him. Didn't even ask him, who are you? It was just an immediate fight. I know people like that. There's no talking to them. There's no, they just start fighting God right away. Maybe you're that kind of person. And you've been having it your way for years. You know, the interesting thing is that God wrestled for a while with Jacob. But God wasn't interested in that wrestling going on for much longer than it did. It went on all night long. Wrestling with the Almighty all night. And the sun is dawning, and Jacob's still wrestling. And the angel of the Lord is thinking, i got to get out of here. i got other things to do than wrestle with Jacob. The scripture says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. I mean, this is amazing. He's not giving up. And God says, you know what? I am not wrestling with you any longer. This is over. This is not a matter of, let's see how many years of your life we can waste while you wrestle with me and ultimately lose. If you are wrestling with God, tell me who's going to win. Yes, rule number one in wrestling with God. We always lose. God is going to win. Now, if you don't like it, lump it, okay? This is just the way it is. You have to get used to some things on earth, and one of them is that you're not God. And so he wrestles all night. God touches him, and he learns. Now we see him later on. He learns to walk leaning, on something. The Bible says for the rest of his life, he walked leaning on his staff because his hip had been dislocated or something had happened to him so that he never walked the same. You could tell by the man's walk that he'd been touched by God. Can people say that about you? 
Can people say because of what's happened to your life over the last year, by your walk, that God's touched your life? It doesn't mean that some disaster has to happen to you, but have you lost your self-reliance? I hope so. And now you're leaning on God. People say, I'm not going to lean on anything. Oh, give me a break. We used to sing this song. It was one of the great hymns. And it went like this. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness. What a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. And the chorus went like this. Leaning Leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. There's nothing wrong with leaning on Jesus. And every step that you take, you take leaning on the Lord, trusting on the Lord, because you know what? We are all broken. We're all sort of dislocated, if you ask me. Some in different places, you know, but... We need the Lord's help, that's for sure. Henry Ward Beecher said, Pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil out of which thanks naturally grows. A proud person is seldom a grateful person. They never think they get as much as they deserve. When you learn the lesson of relying on the Lord, you become a thankful heart. Maybe God's taken away your independence. There's, there's an independent part of us that we, we accept the Lord and we say, oh, this is great. I want all the blessings. I want the Lord to take away my sin and my guilt and my shame. And I want the Lord to, but I also want to live over, you know, I want to be able on Saturday night to go to my parties and I want to be able to step into the, you know, I want to be able to have one foot in the world and, you know, I don't want to, I know, I know the Lord is right. I know the Lord's where I should be, but, you know, I don't want to become fanatical about this. In the Middle Eastern culture, and to this day among shepherds, they learn it in sheepology, <laughs> when they're learning how to care for sheep. When a lamb constantly begins to wander, a sheep begins to wander, and the sheep is not paying attention where it should go, and it's, and it's wandering out, shepherd's way over there, and it's not where it needs to be. We know what's going to happen to this sheep out here. There are wolves out there. And you go outside of the fold, and you don't know what might happen to you. And there are various reasons why sheep wander, but some get in habitual wandering. Ever have a dog that wanders away from home, you know, and just gets sort of the wanderlust, you know? Well, when sheep do that, the shepherds have a way of curing that. When it happens to a Christian, it's not good. When you start wandering away from the Lord and you keep wa- you go back and back, the Lord has a way and it's the shepherd's way. The shepherd, this sounds radical, just hold on and hear me all the way through before you make a judgment. The shepherd will take that lamb's leg or that sheep's leg and he will break the leg. Yes, it's painful. It's painful for both the shepherd and the lamb. Now the lamb is helpless. Now the lamb can't walk. Now the lamb has to have some kind of um, brace put on its leg, but it can't walk. It can't bear the weight. And, and it's been wounded, so it will die unless now the shepherd picks it up and carries this big lug of a lamb around wherever he goes. 
So now for the next four, five, six weeks, however long it takes for a lamb leg to, to mend, the shepherd carries this lamb, this sheep, wherever he goes. During that time, however, during the time of breaking, the lamb's leg is mending, but the lamb's heart is bonding to the shepherd's heart. The Bible says in all our afflictions, he is afflicted. The Lord cares so much and feels the pain of this little lamb. He's carrying the weight of this little sheep all over the place. And the Lord sets that sheep down. And we're told that when the shepherd, when the sheep is able to to walk again and gone through sheep therapy and whatever else they go through, that sheep, and, and it's true to this day, I mean, it's still practiced, that sheep will stay closer to the shepherd than any other sheep in the flock. It just stays right there. It's like a pet wherever he goes. It's right there. What a lesson. What a, you know, I'm sorry for the breaking, but at the same time, if the result is you lose your independent nature and you become dependent on Jesus Christ, it's worth it. So what has God taken away from you? Maybe your self-reliance. Maybe your independence. Maybe your wealth. Yeah, the last two years, if you had anything in retirement, you've experienced that, haven't you? As the stock market crashes and your portfolios dissolve, you realize that, Lord, I guess um, you're going to take care of my everyday needs and I'm just going to have to look to you. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost your marriage. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I spoke to somebody who had lost two loved ones within the last year. Oh, what sorrow, what pain. How do you get through this? You can't get through this time without turning to the Lord. You can't. Maybe it's been your health that's been hit this year. Say, well, now that you mention it, I don't particularly feel thankful. I can think of some things that have been taken away, and I'm really not too thankful for those things. In fact, I'm a little bugged. And I didn't come to church to get bugged. Well, you know what? What we need to understand is that Thanksgiving is not just an emotion, Thanksgiving is not a feeling. You might say, well, I don't feel thankful, but it's thanksgiving. Being grateful is not a feeling. It is actually an attitude. It's a decision. It's an act of obedience to God. Pastor Erwin Lutzer, who's the pastor of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, one of the great churches in our country, he said, you can learn to give thanks even if you don't feel particularly thankful. If God gives a command, he expects obedience, whether you're in the mood or not. Thankfulness like forgiveness is not an emotion. Thankfulness is an intelligent response of gratitude to God. Look at Job chapter 1 for a moment. Right before the great big book of Psalms, you'll find Job. And you know the setup for the story of Job. Job had been accused before God, and God had been accused as well by Satan The accusation was, nobody serves you, God, because they love you. They only serve you because you give them stuff. You bless them with things. 
with people, with possessions. If you were to take those things away from people and their lives were to be traumatized, they would curse you to your face. You are not loved for any other reason than you give things to people. God said, that's not true. Have you thought of Job? Well, he only loves you because you've protected him and he's got all this stuff and you won't let me at him. God said, that's not true. And the devil has the audacity to argue with God. Well, God says, I know it's not true and I'll prove it's not true. Do anything you want to Job, save Do not take his life. You may not take his life. You can do anything to him up to that. And I know him. He will not deny me. He will not curse me. He will not blame me. And so Satan diabolically went to work. And chapter 1, verses 13 through 19, talk about the awful work of Satan as he begins to slaughter Job's family and begins to destroy Job's property and Job's business goes down the tubes in one day. And finally, Job's health is affected as he comes down with some kind of a systemic disease and he breaks out in these boils these pussy boils in his whole body from toe top of his head to the bottoms of his feet feel as if he's on fire. And there are no pain meds. There are no emergency rooms to go to. There's no intensive care to deal with what he's dealing with. He's just in agony. And he's heard the message that all his children have been killed, that his family is dead. What does he do? I want you to look at what he does. Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he cursed God and died. Is that what it says? No. But that's what a lot of people would do. I am shocked by what he does. Look at what it says in verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and what? Worshipped. Well, I could... How about wind, you know? Just a little excuse to wind, maybe, huh? But he worships God. Gang, I'm telling you, this is... This is a wonder to me. His response is worship, which tells me he's trusting God for what he doesn't understand. It tells me that he's, he's thanking God even though it doesn't make sense to him. Now, some thanksgiving is this way. God gives us something and it's an obvious no-brainer. This is really good. Thank you, Lord. We love it. It's like throwing a bone to a dog, you know? We wag our tails. We're so thankful to God for what he's done. Other things are unclear. We're not sure in life. What is this? Is this good? Is this bad? I don't know. Thank God anyway. And then some things obviously are not good. They do not seem good. Are we to thank God for those things too? Yes. The Bible says in everything give thanks doesn't say necessarily for everything to give thanks, but it does say in everything to give thanks. In the midst of whatever you're in, thank God. When we do that, when you're, and we're all in, I know if we could all talk about what we're going through right now, 
a huge proportion of us would be in Job-like scenarios. Giving thanks to God doesn't mean you are saying that what's happened to you is okay. It's not, oh, this is good. You're not saying it's good. God doesn't say, give, say it's good. In fact, the Bible doesn't say all things that happen to us are good. Some people misunderstand. The Bible says God will work all things together for good. All things are not good, right? But God will work sovereignly everything to be good for us. And so in our thanksgiving, sometimes we're thanking God sort of with a view to the future that I don't understand the mind of God, but I trust him well enough for the things I don't understand. I thank you, Lord, that you're in control right now. See, from heaven's point of view, when you get to heaven and God plays a grand DVD of your life back to you, I mean, maybe we get to do that. We get to watch our life and, and we can see those awful moments and we say, and those are the moments that we're going, what, what were you doing, God? What are you doing? I thought you loved me. Okay, all of that stuff. And at those moments, the Lord is saying, see what I was doing? Oh, wow. I had no idea. You really knew what you were doing. Of course, we won't be saying that. The language we use biblically is this, righteous are you, O Lord, in all your ways. You did it all perfectly, Father. You knew what you were doing. Thanksgiving calls us to thank God for what he's given us. Thank God for what he's taken away from us, okay? And we say, thirdly, thank you, God, for what you've left me. Thank you, God, for what you've left me. Left me? What do you mean? Thank you, God, for what you've left me. For what you've left me with. You've left me with. Number one, you've left me with Jesus' peace. I'm going to give you all three so that we get them all written down. You've left me with Jesus' peace. Number two, you've left me with Jesus' presence. And number three, you've left me with Jesus' provisions. Can you write all those three down? Thank you, God, for all that you've left me. You've left me with Jesus' peace. In this world, I have tribulation. In this world, I have trouble. But in this world, I also, according to what Jesus says very clearly in John 16, I have peace in Christ. And I have Jesus' peace. I have Jesus' presence always. And I have Jesus' provision. Jesus' peace in John 14, 26 and 27, New Living Translation puts it this way. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. The peace that Jesus gives to us. Jesus' peace is, is amazing. In every circumstance, he'll give you peace. John 14, 26 and 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. That's true. We are not promised a cakewalk on earth. 
And those who promise that to Christians don't understand the word. Just because you love God, just because you give to God, just because you serve God does not mean you are immune to trouble. You're going to have trouble, but you need the peace of Christ in all your circumstances. And Jesus' promises of his presence are so good. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always means all the days. I'm with you all the days of your life. And we all have, what kind of days? Good days? Bad days? Sad days? Mad days? Glad days? Jesus was there for me. He is there for you. We have his promise. And he gives us his peace, his presence, and his provisions. Jesus says, ask. If you ask anything according to my will, I'll give it to you. We have his word on that. Let me give you the, the scripture reference. He says, John 15, 7 and 8, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And in John 16, 23 and 24, Jesus says, In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 say, 1 John 5, 13 and 14, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God provides for us through prayer. So we develop a life of thanksgiving We live our thanks all year long as we say, thank you, God, for what you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for what you've taken away from me. Things like my sins, my guilt, my shame, but also for the things that are hurting me. And Lord, I'm even going to thank you for the things where you've taken away in areas that I don't really understand right now. And Lord, thank you for what you've left me with. You've left me with Jesus, his peace, You've left me with Jesus, his presence, and his provision. You're going to take care of me because I'm your child. Lord, we are so grateful. Thank you for all that you have given to us. Thank you for everything.
give up And if I told you my story You would hear life But it wasn't mine If I
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcasts. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with The Voice of the Martyrs. The term moron is a condescending term used to describe a person that lacks the ability to make proper judgments due to a lack of intelligence. This word moron comes from the Greek word moros, and it describes a person who cannot understand anything because they have lost their grip on reality and their own mind. That's why the Greek moros, or the English term moron, all refer to a person who lacks the intelligence to make a sensible decision. Have you ever thought of yourself as a foolish idiot because you were unable to make the right decisions? Or because you were so out of touch with the world? Have you ever felt as if you were a moron? I think most of you will answer with a resounding no to these questions. But did you know that the world calls Christians morons and foolish ones? According to the values of the world, Christians and the message of the cross that Christians put their faith in are deemed foolish and moronic. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about how the world considers Christians and the message of the cross as a foolish thing. But perhaps that is a very natural reaction. The Creator gives His life for His creation, the King gives His life for His people, and the Sinless One pays for the wages of sin for the sinners. This doesn't make any sense. Perhaps it can only be seen as a foolish act in the eyes of the people of the world. However, the world was not worthy of such people who believed in the message of the cross. Here is a story about these people who were deemed foolish by the world at the end of the first century AD. Let's hear the story of these people that the world could not handle. Rome was under Emperor Domitian's rule near the end of the first century AD. Most Roman emperors deified themselves and forced the people to worship them. Emperor Nero and Caligula were the most infamous even among these emperors. They violently oppressed Christians who wouldn't worship them as gods, choosing instead to worship Christ alone. Domitian also deified himself as much as Nero and Caligula, severely oppressing Christians during his reign. In fact, it didn't matter if a Christian was his relative. He opposed them all the same. When he found out that his niece Domitilla and her husband Clemens were Christians, Domitian imprisoned them and ordered all involved Christians to be caught and executed. The biggest reason why Domitian hated Christians was because they called Jesus their king. 
Domitian wanted only himself to be the king. He persecuted Christians out of fear that those who called Jesus their king would conspire to rebel against his rule. Then, one day, a Christian who was a relative of Jesus from the line of David was caught, and Domitian wanted to interrogate him in prison. Curious to see if the man was truly a descendant of King David, Domitian asked the man how much land he possessed. When the man replied that he had about 9,000 denarii worth of land, the emperor was surprised, for he thought it was too small a property for a descendant of a king. But the man stretched out his hands to the king and said, Here, look at my hands. They're all covered with calluses. I make a living by working hard, farming on the land of my ancestors. Domitian, nevertheless, continued to demand that the man tell him what the talk of Christians saying that they will be building a new heaven and a new kingdom was all about. He demanded the descendant of David to speak truthfully on when and where the Christians were planning to build this new heaven and new kingdom. To this, the man replied, The kingdom of God isn't built on this world. The kingdom of God will come at the end of this world, after when all people, both the dead and the living, receive their judgment. Emperor Domitian could not believe what this man said. This so-called kingdom of God arriving at the end of the world? It was all nonsense to him, and he started mocking the descendant of David. He ridiculed the man and the Christians for laying down their lives for a kingdom that wouldn't come while they were alive. Domitian ordered the guards to free the prisoners as he continued to mock them, calling them morons, dismissing the report that they might be a threat to his empire. I explained earlier that the word moron refers to a person who cannot make a wise assessment of reality due to a lack of intelligence. Christians who sought their worth in heaven were treated as fools and idiots by the rulers of the world who placed their value in the world. Although Christians knew that if they were found out, they'd be cast out from their work, have their property confiscated, would almost always be imprisoned, and even be whipped, burnt alive, or executed. They put everything down for their faith, even their own lives. Because they didn't fear risking not only their own lives, but even their entire family's lives for what the world deemed mere religion, the world considered them all fools. Because in a world where people are busy trying to earn a few more dollars, those who used their own money to help others and to preach the gospel could only be thought of as fools by worldly standards. In the world's eyes, Christians could only be seen as people who can't make sensible decisions due to a lack of intelligence. But the Bible clearly reveals to us, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
These are the words from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and verses 23 and 24. It is not that Christians are unable to clearly perceive reality, but it's the people of the world that are not worthy of the truth. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Voice of the Martyrs. God bless.
The only way to God is through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. As we have been invited to walk this path of faith, we should lay down our worldly burdens. We must lay down our burdens and instead should be carrying something else. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 through 30 tell us, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The day we bring the burdens of this world to Christ, He promised us that He will give us rest. There is not a single reason for us to be overwhelmed and broken by our worldly burdens. Jesus is telling us to take His yoke upon us and learn from Him. That is how we seek rest for our souls. It is impossible for us to live this world by relying on our own strength. When we live with our strength alone, we will become weary. And this is not the type of life Jesus prays for us to live. Here are the third and fourth verses of the song, I Must Tell Jesus. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. He all my cares and sorrows will share. Oh, how the world's evil allures me. Oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. I must tell Jesus, and you will help me over the world of victory to win. Is there anyone who is weighed down by the heavy burdens resting on their shoulders? I pray that our listeners will be able to lay down everything before Jesus and live the life that Christ desires us to live, which is to carry His yoke. Jesus walks with us daily and has promised us rest. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week and God bless. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. Tempted and tried, I need a great Savior, one who can help my burdens to bear. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, He all my cares and sorrows will share. I must tell Jesus. Jesus
Jesus alone.